continue along with Back to the Basics. And tonight we're going to talk with, about Romans 9. Very interesting chapter. And you know what else is interesting that I found out as I was going through this is the different ways that the different chapters in Romans speak to each other. Like you could take the book of Romans itself and it would be able to defend itself to the different pieces of it. Some of the supporting scriptures are actually found in other chapters of Romans. <laughs> whether some that we've gone over or whether it's some of the futures. So let's go ahead and read. I'm going to start with reading verses 1 through 5, and then we'll kind of discuss some things. So I'm using New Living Translation. So Romans 9, verse 1 says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything, and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Amen does mean it's done, it's settled, it's taken care of, and so we do know that. And so it's kind of interesting that he ends this little passage with this, and so of course I thought, what a great place to stop and start talking about it. So the interesting thing here is Paul is speaking in a way that he is he's distraught, he's concerned, but he's speaking the truth. And he says, look, uh, Christ be my witness, my conscience confirms it, the Holy Spirit confirms it, and then it's not a happy word, so I wouldn't do this just to build myself up or make myself look better to you. Because I'm going to tell you some things that are a little bit disheartening. So it's interesting because we look at the fact that, so uh, Christ witnesses, right? And the Holy Spirit confirms the word. And then it says, of course, my conscience confirms it, but it's torn. And so it's interesting because if we look at John chapter 12, verse 49, and there's tons of scriptures that support this, but it says, I don't speak of my own authority. This is Jesus. I don't speak of my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. So even Christ is being a witness of the word that then Paul is referring to. And so Christ is witness because he spoke it while he was here. And so Paul is just continuing sharing that good news and that message. And so that's why it's easy to understand that Christ was witnessing to that. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, When we tell you these things, we do not use words that came from human understanding, Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truth. And so what's nice about it is for those who are receptive and ready to listen and hear what God is having to say, then their conscience and the Holy Spirit is going to confirm it in them and give them the full understanding that they have need of. And so it's not done just merely by words, because I'm just letting you know right now, uh, nobody is eloquent enough to make it all work out right. 
However, the truth shall set you free, and the Holy Spirit confirming it in you works with you along the way, because otherwise, we'd all be lost. Because we just don't have that understanding. In fact, the Holy Spirit is who draws us to Christ. And so even to be saved. Another point that I thought was really interesting in this is verse 4. Because it talks about they are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. And it says adopted in here, but if you look back at the original Greek and everything, it actually talks about sonship. So not so much adoption, but sonship. Because if you think about it, realistically, who made us? God. God made us. We're from Him. We came from Him. Now, we were born into a sinful nature, which then separated us from God, correct? And so, basically, God is saying, this is not, this is not something that is outside of the norm. Because when we hear the word adoption, we think like, you know, we had no parents. We're just kind of out there flailing on our own. But the thing is, is it's a restoration process. In fact, God said, hey, look at the prodigal son. He said, look at the prodigal son, because that's the illustration there. The illustration is that we were, we were part of God and what he was. He designed us. He created us. But then we came and kind of did our own thing, right? Because we had to fill it out. We had to, we had to go our own way. We wanted to do our own thing and sometimes go down paths we weren't supposed to go on. And so we separated ourselves. And then we're like, hey. I want to go back to God because even God's servants gets treated better than I'm being treated now, right? He was talking about he was actually considering eating the same nasty pig slop. That's like all the leftover refuse that everybody else has already chewed up and eaten, you know? And this is just all the stuff poured together. That's what the pigs eat. That's not a very pleasant thing. In fact, at youth camps, there used to be like a horrible challenges, and one of those was eating random things all put together. <laughs> and that was bad in itself, because we made sure it was at least safe. But with pigs, it's just pieces and parts of everything. And so he was that willing to do that, but he said, look, I can go back home and be treated at least like a servant. You know, as a slave, he say, I'll do anything you ask, because I know you treat them better. But what happened is when he came back, he was restored. He was restored to what? The sonship. So God could have brought him back and said, okay, you can be lowly. But no, he said, I want you to be restored. And so God is saying, it's not about the adoption like we think about adoption, but it is bringing and restoring you to a child of God. I mean, that's just a great picture how that all works out. Verse 4, remember, talked about they are the people of Israel chosen to be God's children. So that's question number two. So the next thing that's being talked about here is an extended family tree. So it talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Pretty straightforward, right? Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. But then it says, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as human nature is concerned. And the picture that I was given is the fact of, I looked at, uh, y'all seen Ancestry, right? I don't know how many have connected with Ancestry. It's pretty cool, but it shows family trees. And so I was seeing a family tree. And it's interesting because Father Abraham, right, had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. 
And so we have all these connections, but it's interesting because we are grafted into this tree. And the scripture supports that. So we can say this. We can say, okay, Father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Christ, us. We get included in that as being his children. And so we're part of that. In fact, it talks about, if you look in scripture, it talks about the fact that we become children of Abraham. We get to hold true to the promises that were made to him. I love how it says Christ's human side was born into this lineage. Uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse 4. This is awesome. It says, this is my covenant with you. And he's talking, this is God talking to Abraham. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Talking about the fact that Abraham has now, it's no longer so much just, I have birthed this person. But it's talking about so much more. It's talking about engrafting people. It's talking about that redemption process that brings us back in. It's talking about restoring the sonship, right? And so it's people who may have never had an opportunity for something like that to be brought in to what God has in store for his people. The next passage we want to look at is verses 6 through 9. But verse 6 starts and says, Well, then has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's family. Being descendants of Abraham does not make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too, this means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Interesting, huh? I like it. Children of Abraham is really a discussion of children of promise. It's not saying who you're born into, what family you're a part of, but it's who you choose and who God has chosen you to be and who he's created you to be. So it lets us realize that there is so much more to that. And so I basically uh, thought about there are descendants and then there are descendants. And so I like the fact it says children of promise. Children of promise. That's, that's something you need to adopt. And we're going to continue to understand more of this promise and this process as we continue on, especially in Romans 11. It's going to build on this a whole lot. Galatians 4.28, and we're sharing additional scriptures here because they support this same passage. Because you know what? A lot of times when we look at a passage... And we're like, okay, that sounds good. But it's kind of like if you were to hear something from one person, but then if you hear from two people, so the more support you get, the more things you can see speaking to that same message, it builds that in you. But not only that, but things are expressed in different ways for different people at different times. And that's how it was when even it was written. Because people in the Old Testament weren't writing to the same people in the New Testament people were writing to. Because guess what? The people in the Old Testament, a lot of them had already died, right? And so it was different groups. It was different people, different lands. 
And so Galatians 4.28 says, And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. And the thing that makes this really cool is Paul was not talking to Israelites. We see this now because he's talking to the Galatians. And it says, you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise. Why? It wasn't because of who they were born into, the family they were born into, but it was because of how God had brought them into the fold through faith. And it wasn't by works, it was by faith. And then this scripture really speaks to a lot of this uh, passage, but Ephesians 3, 6, and this, is, this was powerful. And this is God's plan. I love that. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. So that restorative work, that redemptive process that Christ completed on his journey to the cross, then brought us to a point that we too can be children of promise. And that's awesome. Because it was interesting because it was saying, you know what? Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you're gold. Because guess what? It says that Jews and Gentiles both have to believe. And that's an important word. Believe, right? Who believe the good news? And so it's not so much about what I have done, what I have worked out, what process I have come to, what things may be available to me, because the things were made available earlier to the Jews and the Israelites than they were made to the Gentiles. However, the word was not received the same way, and we see what that caused. And sometimes the word is not received by us today <laughs> at times. And so we have to constantly be reminded of this process and this understanding. So question number five says, being descendants of Abraham does not make you truly Abraham's children. That's an important thing to remember. Because it, it's, it's kind of like when I was growing up a lot of times, I thought I was a Christian because my dad was a preacher. Eventually you get to a point where you have to realize that, no, I gotta get saved too. But I honestly believed I was just in it because guess what? You know, as soon as I could be in church, I mean, but I know that I was in church constantly. I grew up, in fact, I, we actually lived in an actual church for like two years in Kansas. And I'm just saying, yeah. And in fact, the door to our living quarters like opened up into the side of the sanctuary. <laughs> so like, you couldn't be like, <laughs> otherwise, you know everybody saw it. But hopefully, you know, being the minister, you would be one of the ones who wanted to be there Okay, only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. Question six. And that's taken from verse eight. And once again, I love the word promise. Not children of Abraham, children of promise. And, and in a lot of times, we kind of overlook the concept of children of God. Even. Oh, we're children of God. Oh, we're children of God. Because it gets said so many times. But you know what? Being a child of God is being a child of promise. Because it's not so much about my identity, but it's about what comes with that identity. You know, it wouldn't matter in the world, it wouldn't matter one piece of anything in the world probably, if I found out that one of my ancestors uh, signed the Declaration of Independence. It wouldn't benefit me any special way. But, 
with God when I find out that I'm his. Now, that has bonuses with it. And we see that from the very beginning. And in fact, as we continue on with this chapter, we'll see it even more. So, verse 10. It says, This son was our ancestor, Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purpose. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. Because she was told, your oldest son will serve your younger son. Verse 13 says, in the words of Scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So, it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it, so I love the fact that this is identified right from the bat that I can't be good enough also can't be bad enough to destroy what God has already done and already purposed you understand and I think it's so interesting because a lot of the times we see our lives as complete and utter failures if we step off course and so what then we think we're not good enough well, guess what? You were never going to be able to be good enough. <laughs> you can't separate yourself from the love of God. God is going to love you until you die. He loves you despite anything else you could do. He loved the people who spit at him, who beat him, those who put him on the cross. And that's the biggest thing you have to understand. But the thing that I love is it says... The point I want to bring out is chosen on purpose, but before birth. They haven't had a chance to do anything wrong. A lot of the times, and in fact, I've seen this a whole lot, that we see like children, right, in hospital. And we're like, how in the world? An adult, I can understand because they've probably done something stupid to deserve it, maybe. You know? But a little kid, that's wrong. That, like, what did they do? They didn't do anything. Why are they lit, you know, having to live this kind of thing? And so we'll say that a whole lot. But, you know, sometimes the way things happen are just because God has a bigger plan in mind. I'm just saying there's things that we can't understand. And we think that it has to be because of something that was done or something was processed. And like you're talking about, you're talking about the fact that, yes, God, things are going to happen to good and bad people. I mean, it says what? It rains on the just and the unjust. Things are going to happen. Things are going to occur. But because of who God is, we have a promise. Whether it be now or be eternity, it's a promise. In fact, the, the scripture that really points this out is Psalm 139, 13. You probably remember this one. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Do you really think about that? Have y'all watched the process of how a baby, you know, grows and all the different things that happen through the different months? And I've actually watched those videos, and it's really cool if you watch one of those progressional videos where it kind of moves and things start to happen. But it's interesting, all the little tiny bitty pieces that have to all work perfectly. 
working together to do that. And it's not on accident, it's on purpose. In fact, it's a huge thing right now because, of course, you know, the whole Roe versus Wade got overturned and now states are rising up and doing, you know what I'm saying? And all these kind of things are happening. But we're seeing that there obviously is something there to this process, right? And to this purpose. In fact, I love that I try to support Students for Life because I think that's a great organization. So anyway, we see that God has done all this for us. And then this weekend especially, okay, because guess what, Christmas? It's here, whether you're ready for it or not. <laughs> it's here. And we get reminded, especially if you were in service this past week, you've heard about like John the Baptist being foretold, right? His name was decided. His purpose was provided, right? All these things were put together, what? But before he's even conceived, right? Same thing with Christ. I mean, we know that Christ was, you know, you're going to call him Jesus. He will be the Savior of the world. He's telling Mary, you know, these things. And, and there's tons of more. These aren't the only people, but I just wanted to prove that, you know, during Christmas especially, this should show us the point. Our purpose is pre-designed. In fact, I love the scripture that talks about that, you know, God had foreordained or pre-planned the fact that Christ would go to the cross for our benefit before he even created anything. And so that just shows us that God knows exactly what is needed and designs everything intricately. Priscilla Brodachai. She says that it's so cool because, you know, her great-great-great-great-grandmother, you know, uh, out of billions of people found her great-great-great-great-grandfather, and then they had her great-great-great-grandmother, you know, and all the... Like this great progression that's brought down through here. So there's billions of people in each of these sections that have to occur perfectly for her to have been created. And that was just neat the way she explained that because it talks about the whole fact that God has uh, done that for us. And then the second thing I want to pull out is God's mercy on this. Point blank, it says, so it is God who decides to show mercy, and we can't choose it, and we can't work for it, right? God's mercy. Now, I will say this, that if I had the opportunity to choose, I would definitely choose mercy. But it's not so much that it's a choice for us. It's not something we can just kind of walk into. We can't earn the mercy either. Because if it could be earned, then the sacrifice would have been for nothing. And so it's a free gift. Oh, and this is the scripture. I talked about the scripture before I actually got to the point. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He does this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. It just it blows your mind, doesn't it? That like, this was planned out way, 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 way back. And what's interesting is God... I, would, I couldn't have even imagine Christ knowing that there would be people who would not accept it still died for him. That's pretty powerful. In fact, they once did an illustration. They said that they had this debilitating disease that was going around the country, and they found out that uh, it took a pure strain of blood to be able to uh, defeat it, you know? 
And so they were searching, 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 and searched billions of people. Finally, they came up and found one kid who had this special kind of blood that would be able to defeat the virus and everything. And his parents were so excited. He was, he was like, yeah, I'm going to get to be a part of this. And so the doctors come up to the parents and are discussing the process and everything. And they said, and so y'all are ready to be part of this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they said, well, you need to know something first. It's going to take all his blood. And at that point, of course, you know, because we're, we're willing to give, but we don't want to give sometimes that much. And so to imagine that Christ just gave his entire life, his being for us, and then gave up the deity, the, uh, the royalty to come down to earth to suffer and be beaten and bleed and just have all that kind of mess going on at his it just overwhelms me that Christ did this and God had this plan way back. I mean, before we even messed it all up, <laughs> he knew. We are going to look at verse 17 and 18. So verse 17 says, For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So verse 18 says, So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others, so they refuse to listen. And so it's interesting because when I was thinking about this, I was like, you know what? Do bad people have purposes. You know, or people, let's not say bad people, okay? Let's say people who aren't saved. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking about, do sinners have a purpose? And so it's interesting to look at because, you know, According to this, Pharaoh wasn't God pro, right? He was way against it. Even, even before the process happened where God hardened his heart, he had already decided he wanted to cause harm and punishment to the people. All that that did is that allowed God to be able to showcase the plagues, right, to happen. That uh, everybody couldn't say, uh, I don't have any way around this. One of the points that somebody brought out to me one time is they said, I don't understand how the Bible is formed as the Bible. Because if you understand, there was a concession that got together to pick which books actually were canonized within the Holy Bible that we have. And some of the leaders of that group were not faith-believing people. They were like, how in the world could you have somebody who was not a Christ follower decide what books were going to be in the Bible? Because wouldn't that be just crazy? But it's interesting because God can use whoever he wants to. In fact, heard a woman one time say that she had the worst neighbor in the world. That neighbor would come over and cuss her out all the time and just be really rude, really mean. And one day she was praying and believing that God would provide her some food. That, and, 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 you know, and the neighbor uh, came by and, and saw what was going on, that she was believing for food. And he was like, hey, God ain't going to bring you no food. God doesn't care about you that much. And so, you know, she goes back into her house, and he goes back, and he goes, you know what? Just to mess with her, I'm going to buy her some groceries and bring them and leave them on her step. And she'll think God did it, but it was really me. So he goes and buys the groceries, set them on the step, and she comes to the door and goes, oh, wow, thank you, God, for all you did. And he jumps out and goes, I bought them for you, not God. And she goes, God, thank you for sending the devil to give me my food. Now, that was a little extreme, but you understand the process there. 
that God can use whoever he wants to. In fact, if you look throughout Scripture in uh, Chronicles, Nebuchadnezzar, right, is used in his ability to what? Straighten out Israel. They had to be brought into captivity because they decided they wanted to do things their own way. And then there were other times when different kings would assist or help, like with King Solomon. There were kings and stuff that would help him that they weren't Christ followers. But they were ready to be a part, and they gave safe passage to the Israelites. And so there were all these things that happened, and it just shows you that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. And sometimes he has even a bigger purpose for you if you learn to come in to his way and his will and be a part of what he has. If it wasn't for Herod, Mary and Joseph wouldn't have gone to Bethlehem. All this is perfectly illustrated. I think sometimes we have crappy government officials at times because guess what? We need to straighten up <laughs> and learn to understand things. You know, I think sometimes, well, the one that got prayer technically banned, it didn't really ban prayer, but it banned like uh, officially led prayer. And so when that happened, I think that was kind of a, an ordained moment because guess what? People weren't really being advantageous about taking advantage of the rights they did have. And guess what? When that happened, oh my goodness. They got riled up, right? And they started doing everything they could. And before that, though, it was like, did we really do it? Question. So there are times when God uses other people.